Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. Uh, Dr. Masood Parwania, who is an associate professor and associate chair for research and advancement at the, Depart- at the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Utah. His research interests are on the applications of mathematical optimization methods, calculus of radiations, and scientific computing to the operation and planning of interdependent critical infrastructure, cyber-physical power and energy systems, and the modeling and uh, integration of distributed renewable energy resources. Uh, Welcome, Masood. Yeah, thank you for having me, Gil. Sure, yeah. So I want to start with one of your papers, um, Hydrothermal Scheduling in the Continuous Time Framework, in which you say continuous time optimization models have successfully been used to capture the impact of uh, ramping limitations in, uh, in power systems. Before we get to the details of this paper, Masood, um, could you uh, talk a little bit about the electrical grid and how it is set up and um, you know, some of the characteristics of that in the US? Uh, yes, sure. Um, so elect- electrical grid, we use it every day. Uh, yeah. It uh, powers our houses, powers our businesses, uh, but uh, but maybe not so many people know how that works and what are this what is the structure of that. So power grid, uh, first of all, power grid is a uh, very big infrastructure uh, and is uh, in a two thousand uh, year two thousand report by the National Academy of Engineering in the U.S. Uh, uh, it was called the uh, uh, the uh, the most complex machine ever built by the human in the 20th century. So they call <laughs> it the most complex machine, and uh, that's of course the credit goes to all the uh, uh, great engineers and the uh, inventors of the 
uh, of the electricity grid in the uh, uh, late 19th century and the uh, early 20th century. Uh, but the reality is that this is really the, the best, best name for that. It's the most complex machine ever built. And it, uh, it consists of large generating units that are, real, uh, that are uh, usually in the remote area in order to access to uh, land and access to water. And also, uh, uh, we don't want to really pollute the, uh, pollute the cities. Uh, and, uh, then, uh, uh, the power that is generated by these large uh, generating units is transmitted to the uh, consumption areas, which are mostly the cities using a, uh, using a large transmission network. And then <laughs> within the cities, there are uh, there is a vast network of uh, uh, power distribution system that we see every day in every street, uh, which then uh, distribute the power to the cities. So that's really like a pub. when we talk about the power system, power grid, it consists of all things together from the generation to transmission to distribution network and at the end delivers power to the customers. Okay, so, so it's a large grid that uh, production uh, units can plug into uh, to supply electricity and then, um, and then uh, equipment or other things that can take electricity out of it, there is no storage in it, right? Uh, is there? Yeah, that's mostly the uh, the traditional and the history of power grid that there has not been really a, a large scale, a large quantity uh, available for storing energy. So there has been uh, traditionally options uh, such as uh, pumped hydro energy storage, which is large scale. But then there are like uh, so few of them built in the grid because just it's just an expensive project to do and also there are not so many uh, natural places that can uh, uh, can be used to develop those pumped hydro units because what they require is a uh, is a uh, 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 is two reservoir or is two reservoirs so one on a higher uh, elevation one in a uh, one in a uh, lower elevation so you could pump the water to the higher elevation to kind of save the energy in terms of the kinetic energy in the uh, uh, in the water and then you release the water from that higher elevation reservoir and then that would along the way that would generate power so that has been one of the most uh, kind of uh, the largest uh, uh, projects of uh, energy storage that has been used but that's really like a mechanical way of uh, uh, storing power but now there so are there so that that's called pump pump storage but do we have pump storage in the u.s grid yes there are there are a few okay. of them there are a few of them operational but as i said that's really limited to the uh, availability of location to uh, build those kind of uh, storages but then yeah. there are battery of course technologies that has been around for a long time but mostly at the customer uh, uh, level, customer electronics level, not necessarily on the grid level. But in the past few years, in the past maybe two decades, there has been advancement on the technology of the batteries, and now there are uh, quite a number of uh, pumped, uh, quite a number of large scale or what is called utility scale energy storage, battery energy storage projects that are being built around the country and around the world. Okay, okay. So in this paper, you're looking at a sort of a combination of hydropower and, and thermal uh, production of electricity, right? And, 
uh, and it, you're trying to sort of uh, optimize um, the, the production windows for these two these two modalities uh, that's right so uh, this is actually a traditional problem in the power grid it's called hydrothermal coordination or hydrothermal scheduling because traditionally we have had both uh, both uh, sources of energy in the power grid so we have had thermal units and we have had a uh, uh, large uh, hydropower uh, uh, projects uh, around the country and around the world that generate power uh, but the, the but the, what has been happening is that there are like different ways of doing that there are different ways of like uh, uh, scheduling and coordinating the power that is generated by the thermal and the power that is generated by the hydro units uh, so uh, the what we have tried to do in this new paper so first of all the problem is not new but the approach that we have taken to solve the problem is uh, different and new so a little bit going yeah. back to the uh, to the history of that so back in 2014 and 15 uh, I started to working on a line of work on continuous time optimization, continuous time optimal control on uh, power system operation, power system, uh, power uh, generation and scheduling. And uh, the reason for that was that uh, so uh, we realized that whatever we have today, which is mostly based on discrete time optimization, trying to schedule the operation of power grid is, uh, is, uh, is not really like a, 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 a good option when it comes to capturing the fast variations of the renewable generation that is being added to the system. So uh, it has been doing fine for a long time, but now that we have more and more renewable integration integrated, renewable generation integrated in the, the grid, uh, what has happened is that they have fast ramping. They uh, change like their generation change quite a bit like um, uh, over like a, a a small uh, duration of time, which we call ramping, fast ramping, and that is simply not something that is captured by the uh, by the traditional discrete time uh, uh, control and optimization approaches that we have been using in the power grid. So the the simplest idea was that why don't we just go to the like extreme cases? Yeah, of course we could also reduce those like the sampling time and the uh, the duration of the time that we do discrete time optimization, but we went to extreme and we thought okay so why not we just don't do uh, like uh, uh, the continuous time try a uh, continuous time optimization uh, so we we, we uh, uh, took all these traditional power system operation planning problems and tried to form reformulate them using continuous time optimization uh, and then uh, like a few papers came out of that and few few new theories kind of came out of that because that helped uh, to also better uh, utilize the flexibility flexibility of the generating unit and the flexibility of the faster resources that are coming to the power grid, just like energy so, storage systems. Yeah, let me ask you, so you say here, results show how the flexibility of the hydropower can reduce the need for ramping by thermal units triggered by intermittent renewable power generation. Um, I don't know a lot about this, Masood, but uh, I, would have, I would have thought hydropower is more uh, base load production. That, that's not true. That's been what is used in the um, traditionally, but actually that's one of the most controllable resources that we have in the power grid, and that is usually uh, uh, that is usually uh, utilized for like a frequency control in some grids. Uh, not necessarily base load, but is actually very fast response. So, but the way we have been utilizing it has been just like you said for. And uh, really like uh, trying to utilize 
analyze it mostly for the uh, cases that is only really like a, a frequency regulation at the worst case. But now we are utilizing it, uh, the, this paper tries to utilize the flexibility that is inherent in that hydropower generation uh, to uh, coordinate with the flexibility of the, uh, with the, with the uh, uncertainty and variability that is, uh, uh, that is uh, uh, demanded to, uh, integrate, uh, uh, to integrate the renewable energy resources. So, so, so let me, uh, let me, so renewable power generation, for example, solar, uh, it, it takes off when there is sun, it, it cannot produce anything when there is no sun. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, whereas hydropower, so uh, when you turn the turbine on, that's when it uh, starts to produce, but can you uh, flexibly turn it off? Uh, yeah, usually, like it's not turned. Uh, 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 yeah, it's not really something. You, uh, hydropower is really something that you don't really necessarily turn off because also its generation uh, is dependent yeah. on the use of the water because these are usually large dams, right? And there is oh. usually like a water uh, flow and uh, release of water that we need for the other application, for the water applications, right? So it's really okay. like the, okay. ter the, the thermal, the, the power generation application of the hydro uh, uh, and the dams is dependent on the amount of the release of water, right? So the, within that constraint of like uh, how much water is scheduled to be released, that's what we are, we can play with, right? So, uh, so see, we can I play see. with uh, like uh, how much of that water we can utilize to generate power. And uh, that is what the kind of the optimization scheduling is coming to the uh, picture. I see. So um, I don't know if this is done already, but um, the, if you can predict uh, power requirements, uh, the, the variation power requirements, then you could have some sort of an automated system that releases the, the right amount of water, right? Uh, yes, that's a, that is a, that is like already available. That's not something that we are developing. Okay. That is something that is already available. There are really advanced technologies on that. So, but we we, we have been mostly focusing on the power grid side, power generation application side of it. Okay. Okay. So you say um, with uh, with your modeling, a reduction of thirty four percent of the structural imbalance in the system is achieved by using continuous time model. So, so essentially, the continuous time model or your approach, um, if if it is implemented in that fashion, it reduces the structural imbalances, meaning that the demand and supply requirements on the uh, that that's one imbalance that exists, and the, the other imbalance that exists is that uh, in power grid operation, so we usually have a day ahead operation that we try to schedule all these resources to be operated in the real time, right? So then there is yeah. a real time operation that we take we take the day ahead schedule and try to adjust it based on the most recent information of the demand that we have and renewable energy that we have in the system. Uh, so uh, that is what the, the structural imbalance what is called there so when we are utilizing a, like a discrete time uh, uh, optimization in order to uh, schedule all these resources for the for tomorrow we are uh, with discrete time optimization there is so much uh, uh, approximation involved uh, in that day ahead mm -hmm. operation that then when you go to real time operation that adjustment uh, is a lot uh, that you have to do a lot of adjustment to catch up with the real time demand but uh, but uh, but uh, but 
because what we have shown in there is that when you do and apply the uh, uh, continuous time optimization in the day ahead operation scheduling, uh, you have you leave less adjustment for real time operation. So that's what is that structural imbalance that is called. I see. Okay, okay. Let me uh, uh, jump into another paper uh, entitled uh, Preparatory Operation of Auto uh, Automated Distribution Systems, ADS, for res Resilience Enhancement of Critical Loads. Um, so you say for preparatory operation of distributor resources for enhancing the resilience of power delivery to critical loads against extreme weather events, uh, adopting hurricanes as a use case, a high-precision spatio-temporal hurricane impact analysis model is first developed to enhance the situation awareness of automated distribution systems and generate a set of hurricane-induced outage scenarios. So, so in some sense, you're preparing the grid to expect some sort of an outage pattern? Uh, that's right. So this is another line of research that we've been pursuing in my lab, which relates to the uh, to the increasing challenge that the distribute that the power utilities have regarding the impact of large scale uh, uh, extreme weather events on the power grid. So uh, you hear uh, like in the news that there is a lot of uh, uh, large scale events happening all over the country, which include the hurricane and include the, uh, like a wind storm that we had like a few weeks ago in Utah. So nobody knew that we are going to uh, get that. Uh, uh, large of a, a wind storm in Utah, but the the the, the wind uh, speed that we had in that wind storm was really like hurricane level wind speed, wind gust speed. Speed. So what happens is that when this large scale event happens, they affect. The, the whole city, right, and the whole distribution grid, and it does, it's not just one uh, like outage, two outage, one failure, one failure, two failure that we used to have in the power grid that results in uh, uh, failure and uh, failure all over the grid that is much larger than the, the 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 notion of and the practices that we have been utilizing, the reliability practices we have been utilizing in the power grid operation. So that is what uh, there is this whole new science of. Uh, Resilience has been uh, has been uh, uh, has been developed and has been people have been focusing on in the past few years, uh, which is which is concerned about looking at all these large scale rare events that could happen on the power grid and that could uh, impact the delivery of the power to the customers. So now we are looking at these large scale events. Uh, they are rare, but when they happen, they are very uh, high consequence. So. So, uh, so we want to see how the grid is resilient against them, which includes first being able to withstand some of these outages. So we want then, so we want first we want to see if the grid can be withstand, which means that it just don't fail when you are facing with these uh, out with these events. Then, if there are failures, how soon we can bring back the uh, we can uh, bring back the grid to normal operation, which is this concept of bouncing back to the normal operation. Mm -hmm. uh, so then there are like uh, so this is the whole notion of a resilience. So so in order to do that, so the the in order to do that uh, we need resources. We need additional resources. It has like really like a, a, a 
become clear that uh, when there are outages, you can't just like when there are like, for example, uh, there's a windstorm, there's a hurricane, there a lot of these power lines break and there is a lot of, uh, it's very messy. It takes a lot of time to just uh, uh, repair those and uh, bring the, the grid back to normal operations. One approach for uh, like, uh, one approach against that, one approach to improve that is to utilize local resources. So rather than being, uh, rather than relying on a, um, a utility crew to, crew to come and like fix the power line, there could be some local resources that could join force together to uh, to uh, to uh, uh, to form something that is called a microgrid. So microgrids. So 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 may I ask, so the the issue here is um, in a shock like a hurricane or something uh, when the outages happen there might be a lot of interrelated issues across the entire grid, right? Um, so, so that's one issue. You say here, the proposed model prioritizes a service restoration of critical loads by integrating customer interruption cost that's function, right. uh, which takes into account uh, customer type and outage cost as well as interruption duration making restoration decisions. And so when you have a number of different outages that's sort of interrelated, there is sort of a cost minimization question on the entire grid, right? That uh, that's right. Saying? So what happens is that at the end of the day, whatever local resource you have, they are not going to be enough to serve the whole grid, right? So you have to decide and prioritize the, some of the loads. That's what we have been trying to, we have done in that paper, is that we have tried to, we have tried to develop these models, we have developed these models that looks at the availability of resources that we have and how much generation, we, how much energy that we have stored in energy storage, how much fuel uh, we have reserved for a distributed generation. Then look at the type of loads that we have around and we are prioritizing the loads that have uh, higher uh, outage costs. So the different loads have uh, different outage costs. So for example, an outage in a residential, uh, for a residential customer for a household is going to cost much less than the, the same outage for an hospital, right? So that's the way we have tried to, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, approached this problem by uh, the, uh, looking at the outage cost, which is, an, uh, which is a social economic information about the um, electricity customers, right? So then, uh, and trying to uh, uh, prioritize those customers, power uh, uh, recovery to customers that is that are going to have higher uh, outage costs, which is naturally going to be more critical customers, right? Yeah, yeah, and so uh, and so essentially trying to trying to optimize within a set of constraints on the entire grid by taking into account the customers' cost. Uh, customers' requirements as well as uh, sort of the, the, in some critical requirements, the duration is going to be quite important, right? Um, hospitals and things like that. Uh, that's right. That's right. So uh, uh, we are looking at how we can uh, uh, recover those customers faster, uh, but given, of course, the customer, the, the, the constraints that are available on the grid, customer constraints of the resources and so on. Okay, okay. You have another paper here, Deliverable Energy Flexibility Scheduling for Active Distribution Networks. Uh, so you said this paper proposes a fundamental model for defining and optimizing distributed energy flexibility 
uh, as well as deliverable energy flexibility as the aggregate distributed flexibility that's available for offering to the day ahead energy market. And so, um, so deliverable energy flexibility. So what? what so do you mean uh, yeah, uh, thank you for uh, um, uh, looking into that paper. So that's actually very. Uh, I very much like that the idea. Uh, for many reasons. So, so uh, what happens is that th that uh, that application is uh, still on the distribution system, but the application is more on the normal operation, not necessarily when you have an outage on the grid, right? So you just can uh, consider right. a grid right. a distribution network in an urban area that uh, uh, there are uh, like a lot of distributed energy resources on that, right? So you see, and uh, people are installing uh, solar uh, rooftop solars or energy storage devices, or there are uh, uh, these uh, the resources are being installed in the substation level. So what happens is that these resources could not only be used for uh, uh, reducing the uh, reducing the, the demand that we get from the transmission network and also could not only be used to uh, improve the voltage profile or other technical uh, 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 technical aspects of operating a distribution system, but also could be utilized to provide uh, back the flexibility to the transmission network, to the bulk transmission network. Basically, uh, if you can schedule those these small-scale distributed resources that uh, then and what you can do, you can kind of shape whatever you get from the transmission network, which is very important because that's where most of the large scale renewable energy projects are. So you are kind of trying to shape demand to whatever availability of the uh, power is from the transmission network rather than just being a passive customer, right? So then, but the reality is that when you are doing that, uh, these distributed resources are in the feeders in the distribution network. So what, what you generate in the feeder in a distribution network is not necessarily uh, something that is seen uh, in the transmissions of a station that is delivering power to you. And the reason for that is that there are yeah. so many lines and cost, uh, constraints and the voltage reduction and the uh, power our losses that are uh, within the distribution net uh, network that would uh, result in whatever you do, for example, you generate uh, 100 kilowatts of power in a, trans in a solar uh, uh, facility in a distribution network, the same 100, you may not get the same 100 kilowatt in the, uh, the network that is connected in the substation that is connected to the uh, transmission network, right? So that is the concept of deliverable energy flexibility we are proposing here. So how much of that distributed flexibility that you have in the distribution network is available to the transmission system operator, to the independent system operator at the substation level? And that is something that is not, like, you can't just calculate linearly, it's not, a, because the grid is not linear. So you have to develop a model in order to optimize, try to optimize what is delivered to the, uh, to the uh, transmission network at the substation level. So, so if, I, if I understand this correctly, um, yeah, so the, the, the local distribution networks is sort of operating independently 
from the substation and the, and the uh, yes uh, uh, not necessarily totally independently because of course they are electrically connected but what happens is that there are at least on yeah. the ownership level yes there is a distribution system uh, operator there's a power utility that usually owns the distribution network and operates the distribution network and then there's a transmission network that may be operated with the same operator with the same utility but there might be other uh, uh, organization like an independent system operator uh, where operates the transmission network. So there are usually, uh, but that is only in the case when there is a market for electricity, like in California, in New York. So that transmission network operator is usually not the same as pairs, uh, is not the same operator as the distribution network. You are right. So, so in some sense, the uh, ISO doesn't have um, really visibility into the the, the local. Uh, you are right. You are right. That is uh, that is uh, so. That's the jurisdiction of the ISO that is only looking at the transmission network. But with the increasing level of the renewable generation and retiring of the thermal generation on the transmission network, they are looking to engage the distribution system operators and distribution network and the resources that are in distribution network in the operation of the bulk transmission network. And actually, they related okay, okay. to this. Just uh, two weeks ago, a FERC, yeah. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, came up with this uh, order uh, 2222, uh, uh, which actually mandates uh, and requires development of practices by the uh, ISOs to integrate the distributed energy resources in the market operation, which is exactly what is done in this paper. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine there are a lot of inefficiencies the way that they're operating today. So this is, if we can do it this way, it will substantially reduce those inefficiencies. That's that, right. That's, that's the right. goal, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, I want to go into another paper, Masood. So scheduling and pricing of energy generation and storage in power systems. Um, and you say this paper proposes a fundamental model for continuous time scheduling and marginal pricing of energy generation and storage in day ahead power systems operation. We talked a little bit about pump storage um, uh, at, the, at the grid level. Uh, there are increasingly batteries at the, at the very local level uh, as electric cars become more uh, prevalent. Uh, those are also storage mechanisms. Uh, and so, you know, from, a, from a, an overall system perspective, a lot of things are changing from a story. Uh, that's right. Story. So uh, what's happening is that, as I said, so traditionally we have not had a large scale utility scale energy storage system on the on the grid. And if we have had them, they have not been uh, prevalent and they have been being operated by the by the same system operator. Right. But uh, but uh, as we integrate more yeah. of these uh, energy storage technologies from batteries to pumped hydro storage to compress their energy storage, uh, what happens is that the question that arises is that what we have been utilizing, the models that we have been utilizing to operate the grid is really the, the models that are designed to schedule and operate trans thermal generation, right? Or, or like a thermal or hydro generation. Mm. But now, and, and the same for right. the, uh, the way we have the, the, the practices and the models we have been using to price electricity 
uh, in a system that has been only that has only involved uh, trans uh, generation uh, generating units right but now we have uh, all of this uh, uh, energy storage technology being integrated at larger scale and larger number in the uh, in the power grid so the question is that first of all uh, uh, are those models that we currently have uh, uh, we, we currently utilize uh, to operate the power grid are those appropriate and are those uh, the good the, the, the best tools that could be utilized to also operate the operate the uh, energy storage system and also the theories of pricing electricity that we have are they the, are they adequate for also pricing uh, energy storage devices in the system so that's what the, the motivation of this research right. so what we did this is in line this is in the line of the trans uh, the, uh, the the continuous optimization uh, models that we've been developing so we developed is a uh, fundamental model that looks at uh, tr that tr that tries to uh, co-optimize the operation of the, the uh, generating unit and the energy storage devices and develops the uh, theorem of uh, a new theory for uh, 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 marginal pricing of electricity in the presence of energy storage devices and we developed this all these uh, 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 complex and uh, fancy uh, uh, mathematical uh, calculation models, uh, formulas for calculating uh, price of electricity in the presence of energy storage. And the results has been really um, uh, kind of uh, uh, surprising that uh, uh, we know for for a fact that energy, what energy storage does, it stores energy at some times, releases energy at some other times, right? So that's why I call energy storage is a temporal uh, uh, transition of power, right? That's what energy storage does. But then, right. uh, uh, but then the results show uh, show that uh, show to us that. It, the energy storage also saves and uh, makes a temporal relation in the price of electricity. So price of electricity at the time that energy storage is uh, a price of uh, energy storage is charging is going to be related to the price of electricity when energy storage is discharging. This is a really uh, this is a really interesting result, right. and I really personally liked it very much. <laughs> yeah, so so um, as storage becomes more common, whether it is at the at the grid level or at the local level, uh, generally speaking, uh, both the scheduling and pricing of energy has to has to change uh, quite dramatically, and um, and so that is the issue. There is an optimization problem that cannot just use the status quo. Uh, because it is, it is now uh, it has the ability to to shift pricing uh, on an as needed basis. If you have uh, that's right, that's right. So uh, what happens is that that's what we expect from energy storage to do: uh, in, uh, store energy at a time that there is a pre prevalence of energy, uh, to, to and shift it to the time to the peak times that we we uh, we uh, we lack uh, cheaper energy. So that's what this result showed that. Uh, that there is also an impact on reducing the, uh, the price of electricity that we already knew. But what this new results, uh, which is for the first time presented, shows that 
the price of electricity at that time all is also re related to the time that energy storage is being charged. So basically, uh, energy storage also saves uh, some information about the price of electricity, not just electricity itself. Right, right. Yeah, you have another problem here, which is sort of related. So electric bus charging optimization with transit network constraints. Uh, and so this is a situation that you have electrified public transportation, long range battery electric buses coming online and associated charging infrastructure inflict operational challenges to both power distribution and transit systems. So again, there is a, a spatio-temporal uh, optimization. Uh, when, how, how much uh, to charge electric? Uh, that's system, right. right. So uh, this is a, this is an interesting problem because uh, what happened uh, that that relates to my research interest on interdependent uh, uh, critical infrastructure. So uh, so uh, my, my my main research is on the power grid. Uh, but what happens is that many of the infrastructure, if we think about that, rely on the power grid to operate, right? So one of those infrastructure include the, uh, the water network. So water network is really relies on the power that it receives from the power network in order to operate pumps and operate uh, 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 pumping stations and also like all the electrical equipment in the, uh, in the uh, uh, water treatment facilities. The other infrastructure is the transportation infrastructure, right? So transport Transportation infrastructure has been traditionally mm. operated totally separately because uh, the, the main sources of the main so source of fuel, the fuel was the gas, right? But now we are seeing a trend of electrification in the transportation infrastructure from electric vehicles to electric buses. And electric buses, I don't mean those buses that work yeah. with, with, the, with the wire connected to that, right? That we have had for a long time, but battery electric buses that charge uh, uh, charge at uh, different locations and then utilize that battery in order to operate the operate the bus. So, so but we, we think about that. Uh, yes. So and there are like a, uh, uh, so just uh, five years from now there is going to be many of them. Consider five ten years from now that there is going to be many of these bus ele battery electric buses in the in the, in the transportation network, right? And what they are going to do is that they are going to need to charge. And these charges are either going to happen at the, by bus depots that are they park overnight, or they are going to be en route, which there are all these overhead chargers that or like uh, other wireless ground charges that they are going to use to charge, right? And there are, uh, there are, there are now a, a, a few of them uh, available in Park City, Utah. That's where the motivation of our research was. So what they do, it makes a big difference where they charge because now they are also, a, they are a moving uh, kind of a load for the power grid that they could charge everywhere. They could charge here, right. they could charge there at different times, right? right. But the reality is that it makes a big difference right. for the grid where they charge and when they charge. Mm -hmm. 
So that's what we have tried to do here. Mm. We have mm. tried to model both networks. Uh, the transit network, uh, which runs on a schedule, they, we know there is a bus bus uh, bus route that they uh, they drive on that route and uh, at uh, at the specific times. But then there is a distribution network, power distribution network that at some points uh, is connected uh, to those uh, to that transit network to the uh, bus chargers, right? So what happens is that what, what we have done in that paper, we have to try, we have tried to co coordinate the charging of these buses with the constraints of the distribution network. So we have tried to, but still within all the constraints of the transit network. So we don't want to charge it too late that that it runs out of uh, power in right. the middle of the road, and we don't want to charge it too early, so that may not be the best time for the power grid operation, right? So we have tried to coordinate that charging of these buses right. so that it doesn't affect uh, uh, the power grid operation negatively, but also become some sort of flexibility that is provided to the power grid. And there is a sort of a, a combined problem uh, also um, yeah, as these number of buses, electrified buses increase, uh, there's also a transportation problem that needs to be solved simultaneously, right? So congestion, uh, weather, those types of things could also affect this uh, optimum um, that's right. That's right. So that's what we have done in this paper. We are not only modeling the power network, which is the power distribution grid, but also we are modeling the uh, transit network of the transportation network and how the buses are running in that. And that's actually a pretty complex uh, optimization problem. Uh, but uh, but uh, the formulation that we develop is pretty efficient that could be solved in a very fast uh, fashion. You are right. There is So we are basically modeling both networks here. Yeah, and another paper, you touched on this already. Uh, it's about uh, uh, demand response scheduling for water distribution systems. So it's not something that I, I never thought about. So energy intensive infrastructures, water distribution systems are promising candidates for providing demand response and frequency regulation services and power systems operations. So um, water distribution uh, is really taking electricity uh, for, for pumps and so on. Uh, but there could be things in there that you could uh, you could optimize, um, such as the, when the pumps come on, uh, where water tanks exist, and how they interact, and, and uh, hydraulic operating constraints, and so on. Right. So it's a it's again a, a simultaneous. That's right. You are uh, right. So this, as I just mentioned, so this is an, yet another network that is uh, relying on the power network to operate, right? Which is the water network. So, and that's quite uh, actually. That's uh, that's not. Yeah. This is not the first time that we are exploring the application of demand response for the water network. So it has been already utilizing uh, many actually power utilities and water utilities uh, as a source of demand response because these pumps are really uh, these are variable uh, speed pumps. These are really uh, large pumps with large generation. 
that even by some percentage of like a reduction in the load or shifting the load of that, uh, some uh, some uh, like a, a reasonable amount of demand response could be provided for the power grid. But what we have done in the paper, we haven't just considered one individual uh, pump or one individual uh, 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 water treatment facility, but we have tried to co-optimize this operation of these two systems together, such that uh, such that not only hmm. we are uh, max uh, trying to maximize the impact of that demand response to the power grid, but also uh, uh, eliminating any uh, uh, negative impact that that like uh, changing the operation of that uh, pump or water treatment could have on the delivery of the water, right? Because the main uh, function of a water network yeah. is to deliver water to customers. And if uh, um, and they would only do demand response, they would only try to help maybe like power utility or get paid for that if that doesn't hurt their main functionality, right? That's what we have done in this paper. We have tried to model both mm. networks to make sure that we are uh, we are scheduling that demand response in a way that, that is not going to hurt the operation of the water network and is also going to be the most beneficial for the operation of the water the power network. Okay, okay. And I want to close with your uh, cyber physical power system resilience testbed uh, architecture and applications. Um, so this is something that implements tests, verifies and evaluates cyber physical resilience solutions for power systems integrated with the communication infrastructure. So this is, uh, this is a way to sort of test scenarios and, and come up with ways to, ways to protect the uh, potentially. Uh, uh, that's right. So, uh, so one, one challenge that the, like the, the power grid research uh, uh, faces is that we do research on the, on the, in the academy and we develop tools, but the reality is that there is a, there is a long way from turning this research that we are doing into something that is utilized actually in the utility and in the industry, right? And the reason for that is not, is that this is not validated in a real world situation. This is, we usually valid and we usually run this, uh, develop these uh, methods and tools and new software on uh, uh, test systems that are not necessarily representative of the main the actual grid. So in order to close that lab, in order uh, that gap, and in order to ensure that we are going to uh, uh, we are going to um, uh, uh, kind of take the, this like uh, uh, models we develop to the next level, uh, we utilize we have developed this uh, uh, cyber physical power grid resilience uh, test bed that. Uh, that uh, what it does is that it uh, uh, models the operation of a real uh, power network in a, uh, a real-time fashion. So that's mm -hmm. a big difference. So this, these are, uh, which, which is the main component of this test set is a, a real-time digital simulators that, oper that, uh, um, uh, op uh, that simulates the operation of power grid in real-time and then integrates uh, many physical components such as uh, 
relays such as real-time real-time automatic controllers and also all these methods that we may develop all those control methods that we may develop in order to see how is the how are these models and hard are going to work with the similar real-time simulated power system and also with all these other relays and the physical components that are connected to the uh, to this real-time simulator in order to see if this is really kind of trying to emulate the operation of a real power network in a lab space right so which which kind of would help us to see if these mm. models and methods that are developed are going to work in a real world work in a real world so that uh, this is just one more step in order to ensure that we are validating the methods and are not just leaving them on a paper or on a, like a toy code that is not applicable in the real world. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so in conclusion, I want to ask you, um, you know, if you consider sort of a five-year horizon, do we have uh, sufficient investments in the power grid? or we need to invest a lot more into it to, to really make it robust and uh, and reduce so know, yeah that's a very good question sort of so first of all we have gone a long way so utilities around the country uh, uh, have done a lot in the past uh, decade or so in order to uh, uh, in order to enhance the resilience of the grid that uh, that has included uh, installing many automation equipment installing more monitors on the grid so they can uh, have a, a better situation and awareness on the what is happening on the grid and where is the failure, where is the outage. So these are the things that we really need to do. Increase situation awareness and increase control on the grid in order to uh, uh, make it more resilient. In addition to that, we also need more hardening on the grid. So for example, at some locations, uh, we know for uh, 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 we may be better off to bury uh, bury the uh, bury the power lines on the ground in order uh, rather than just exposing them on the air so that they they break or they uh, they fail or the tree falls on them. So there are many hardening approaches has been uh, has been pursued by the power utilities and also there there is a lot of like uh, installing a smart equipment. In addition to that, there has been a lot of project installing energy storage installing solar generation installing uh, 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 the, the, um, uh, other sources of generation for uh, enhancing the resilience so it, it, it a lot has done but of course that's just like a beginning of that I believe uh, this is an opportunity for the power utilities mm -hmm. to uh, look at their um, aging grid and see what they want to invest on that in order to first of all like modernize it and then enhance the resilience uh, along with enhancing efficiency so i think so where, where do you where do we stand? Where do the where does the U.S. grid? So stand I think like a U.S. grid is uh, uh, pretty robust. It's very well designed, but. Uh... Uh, um, I don't have a lot of knowledge about like EU grid, but because the topology is different, the sources of resources, the sources of energy is yeah. different, the methods of operation are different. But the reality around the world, not just US, is that the power grid is aging. Uh, power grid is one of the oldest infrastructures we have had. Uh, uh, so in the trans, in the in the communication network, for example. 
so we have gone through like 2G, 3G, 4G, 4G LTE, and now 5G is being installed, right? And the and the pace of the technology <laughs> right. in the yeah. and the uh, the change of technology in the communication infrastructure is much faster than, for example, on the power grid. But in the power grid, we still have equipment from 70s, 80s, if not older, right? So what happens is that they are still working, but every equipment has its own age, right? So they are uh, they are aging. At the end of the day, they need to be right. uh, they need to be substituted with the newer ones. Uh, they are being well maintained, but still there is a, there are going to be failures that are not going to be repairable, right? So what happens? Uh, there is an opportunity there. It is aging. Then there is an opportunity for modernizing. I think with uh, uh, and then there is of course a budget limitation, right? So I think it's a nice uh, uh, it's a nice problem <laughs> right. from my point of view. It's a nice optimization problem to solve. <laughs> Just one more optimization to try to uh, right, kind of right. have a multi-year plan of. Uh, 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 substituting the age equipment, uh, adding more modernized uh, 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 resources and, and the, uh, modernized monitoring and control uh, 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 um, uh, uh, controllers to the grid, while uh, being uh, while acknowledged that it cannot be done at, at once. So it it is probably a multi-year project to uh, uh, to. Uh, 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 kind of modernize the grid at different scale, and probably there is still going to be prioritization of uh, different locations uh, that are going to serve uh, more critical loads. Uh, I think this uh, this is definitely a nice problem to solve, and we have like many experts in the industry, many uh, uh, great engineers in the industry who are doing great on. Uh, 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 doing, uh, do operating the grid and making sure that we are having a uh, reliable power on the in our uh, houses and businesses. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, this has. Yeah, likewise, this was uh, great. Thanks so much for spending time with me, and thanks for having me. And uh, I enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Have yeah, a good, good day. luck with all this research. Bye. Thank you.